Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Well, we have a great crowd tonight. Thank you so much for coming out to our fall seminar, God's Answers to Man's Questions About the End of Days. And so, Brother BJ is going to be talking to us tonight, talking about all the things that are happening in the world in Israel. Is, is it a sign that the end is near? We'll be talking about that tonight. We look forward to that uh, lesson that he'll be delivering here in just a second. Uh, we're just so very happy and blessed to be able to have Brother B.J. Clark with us. And his wife, Tish, they've been married for 40 years, and Tish had her last treatment today at 218. Praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful? We're so very happy we've been praying for her. And Daniel, uh, their eldest son, is also with them. So, so thankful to have Daniel as well. So you know he's a director of MSOP. Uh, he's worked with uh, MSOP since 2006. and 2007, he was full-time, and then became the director in 2013. And so when you think about the most skilled uh, preachers in the brotherhood, B.J. Clark is a person you'll always think about. And so we're just so very thankful that uh, he has accepted the invitation to be with us. He's going to deliver five lessons, uh, one tonight, another tomorrow at uh, 7 o'clock. I hope you can come for that. And then three on Sunday. And, of course, Sunday we'll have a combined Bible class and then we'll have a fellowship, and then we'll have an afternoon service at 12.45. Good evening. It's very, very good to be with you tonight, and I'm so appreciative for the invitation to be in your midst for this weekend and looking forward to our study together. I have so much appreciation for this church and what it has meant to so many good works, both locally here and in our brotherhood, in general, and we're appreciative for the support and, and uh, contributions that you've made to training gospel preachers over the years. That's such a vital work, and we're grateful for it. And yes, I stand here tonight so exhilarated for the prayers that you've offered and the clear scans that uh, Tish got today and the report that uh, her last treatment, as far as we know for now, has been as as completed. So uh, this has been a very good day, and it's very good to have our son Daniel with us here this weekend as well. We're so excited to spend some time with him. I know that you will identify with the following words based on what you've been seeing and hearing. Not in the lifetime of most men has there been so much apprehension Never has the future seemed so incalculable as at this present time. The domestic economic situation is in chaos. Our dollar is weak throughout the world. Prices are so high as to be utterly impossible. And the political cauldron seethes and bubbles with uncertainty. Russia hangs, as usual, like a cloud, dark and silent upon the horizon. It is a solemn moment of our troubles. No man can see the end. And those words were written 
in October of 1857 and published in Harper's Weekly in October of 1857. What does that tell you tonight, dear friends? It tells you, it tells me, that forever and a day, people have been looking at events happening in the Middle East and concluding that this has to be the sign that we're almost at the end of days. This has to be. And I have a book in my library that was written back in the early 70s about Armageddon, the Middle East, and the oil crisis. That book's content has not changed since it was first put out in the 1970s, but the cover has changed about half a dozen times to correspond with whatever nation seemed to be the most volatile at the time in the Middle East. And so this idea of seeing things that happen in our world and considering them to be signs of the end is not a new thing. Allegedly, it comes from Matthew 24, And I want to see whether that's really the case tonight as we go through this study together. But first, let's be reminded that uh, this idea of sign setting or date setting is not a new thing. In 1889, the Jehovah's Witness organization came out with a statement like this, the battle of the great day of God Almighty, which will end in AD 1914, is already commenced. And then in 1904, they wrote this, The stress of the great time of trouble will be on us soon, somewhere between 1910 and 1912. And then 1914, the great crisis, the great clash is very near. Armageddon may begin next spring. And then in 1915, the present great war in Europe is the beginning of the Armageddon. And then in 1922... After that didn't turn out to be Armageddon, this is what they wrote. The date 1925 is even more distinctly indicated by the scriptures than 1914. We now know 1925 is the real date to look at, they claimed. And then in 1923, our thought is, they wrote, 1925 is definitely settled by the scriptures. And then in 1925, they wrote scriptures definitely fixed the fact. We may expect 1925 to witness the return of these faithful men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so guess what Judge Rutherford convinced his followers to do? If Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are coming back, they need a nice place to stay. You don't welcome patriarchs back to the earth and give them some little hut to live in. No, no. We need to build them a mansion. And they did. They built it in San Diego, California area. And when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not return in 1925, guess who got to live in that mansion? Judge Rutherford started living in that mansion. And uh, there's still a marker, an historical marker there at Beth Sarim to uh, connote that that is the place where that house was built. It was originally built to allegedly welcome back Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they never came. So they quit setting dates for a while. In 1931, they admitted there was a measure of disappointment on the part of Jehovah's faithful ones on earth 
concerning the years 1914, 1918, and 1925. And so you would think they would be done with the date setting. But about 10 years later in 1941, they wrote, Armageddon is is surely near, soon, within a few years. And then in 1946, Armageddon should come sometime before 1972. That gives you a little wiggle room. Sometime between now and 1972, Armageddon was supposed to come. And then they wrote, now it is firmly maintained that by the autumn of the year 1975, the battle of Armageddon will have been fought. God's new world order will have been established. And then in 1969, this is what they said, within months or at the most five years, there's a little elasticity there that you don't read about when the prophets make their predictions in inspired scripture. Within months or at the most five years, the end of the world as we have known it will occur and a thousand-year reign of Jesus will begin. So let me ask you, true or false, there have been many people over the decades, over the centuries, who have seen events going on in the Middle East and erroneously concluded that was about the beginning of the end right then. It had to be. Is that true or false that people have been setting dates for a long time and being wrong in their date setting. True or false? It's true. So if this is supposed to come from Matthew 24, then we ought to be able to go to that text and see some things. But I think sometimes people need a second visit. You know, I will confess to you that I love college football, and I love to watch my team play just like you like to watch yours play. And because I'm a fan of a certain team, When a certain play happens that doesn't seem to go in favor of my team or that seems to go in favor of my team, touchdown, yes, he caught that. And I say, that's a catch, that's a catch. And then instant replay will slow everything down, zoom in and show, and now his foot was on the line. It was not in the green. He was out of bounds. But you know what we fans still sometimes do? (laughs) If we're not careful... Oh, that was, that was a good catch. That was good. No, it's obviously not. Upon further review, it's not like I first thought it was. So let me ask you a question. Is it possible for any of us to come to a conclusion about what the Bible teaches and then upon further review and closer inspection realize, oh, wait a minute. I might have jumped to a conclusion there that's not warranted by the evidence. That's what I want all of us to think about tonight as we go through this study. First, consider the context of Matthew 24, and that takes us to the end of Matthew chapter 23. Jesus has indicted the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and then he tells them in verse number 34 and following that the things they've done to the prophets are going to be revisited upon them. And then he says in verse 36, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation, that generation to whom he was then speaking. And then he said as he wept, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, but stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not behold your house 
is left to you desolate. Now, I've been on several Bible lands trips. One of our tour guides, whenever we would go by where the temple used to be situated, would say, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And then he would add, Until you repent. But there is no until you repent promise given in verse 38 of Matthew 24. So what Jesus has just said, your house, this temple is about to be or going to be soon left desolate. Well, this causes the apostles to want to ask some questions. They know this is a magnificent temple complex and uh, Jesus went out according to Matthew 24, 1. And remember, the original authors of Scripture did not chapterize and versify them, saying, okay, I'm going to call this the end of chapter 23, and okay, let me start a new chapter here. There is really no break in thought here, and we should not break apart this teaching. Jesus went out, departed from the temple. He just told them, your house is going to be left to you desolate, Then he leaves that very house, the temple, and his disciples want to show him how these buildings of the temple are are so magnificent. And Jesus says, see not all these things. Now, what is he talking about? The temple. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then later, I want you to consider the questions that this raises. The apostles have a private moment with him on the Mount of Olives. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives there in verse 3, the disciples come to him privately and said, tell us, when shall these things be? Now let me stop all of us right there and ask this question. What things? The things he's just said. Uh, Your house is going to be left desolate. There won't be left one stone here upon another. The disciples want to know when is that going to happen? When shall these things be? And what will be the sign that that is about to happen? And in the disciples' mind, it seems that they thought such an event would have been so catastrophic that it must have been equivalent to the end of the world. Jesus is going to set the record straight and show them that regarding this event, the temple's destruction, there are going to be signs and there is going to be evidence that it's about to happen and you'll be able to see the signs and know the destruction of the temple is drawing ever closer. But as far as the end of the world is concerned, of that day and hour knows no man but the Father, as we're going to see in Matthew 24. Later in the chapter, sometimes we only read one part of Matthew 24 and forget the rest. We've got to put it all together and and take it all into consideration. So Jesus has been asked about when's it going to happen and what are the signs going to be that will show it's about to happen and is that the end of the world? Now, I think it's very important for us to consider the warnings Jesus gives. First, look at Matthew 24, 4. He said... Take heed that no man deceive you. Stop right there. What does that tell you and me? On this matter, it's easy to be deceived because people can get a a certain thing in their mind or they've heard it said, they've heard it said, they've heard it said that this is the case and they think, well, it has to be. So many people are saying that. It must be so. Jesus says, you make sure that you're not deceived. That's verse 4, but look at verse 24. 
for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Even those who are God's people, if they're not careful, could be deceived. And so we need to keep that very much in mind. But now consider the signs. What signs does Jesus start enumerating regarding what would happen prior to the destruction of the Jewish temple and ultimately the Jewish system? And by the way, let me stop here long enough to make something clear that I, I should say before I go another step. should have said it earlier, to be honest. What has happened in Israel has been absolutely atrocious to behold for the purpose of humanitarian concerns and reasons No group of people anywhere on the planet Earth should receive the kind of treatment that they have received with the invasion and the slaughter and the beheadings and all of the horrible things that have happened. And what I stand here and say to you tonight is not based on the reason I'm upset about what's going on in Israel is because God owes them some land still and God owes them this and God owes them that. I want you to know that Israel had the privilege of being God's chosen people through whom the Messiah would come, and they still are human beings who need to be brought to Jesus Christ, and that ought to be our goal, to preach the gospel to every creature, to every individual on earth, no matter what their ethnic origin is, no matter what their country of origin is. We need to bring everyone to Christ as much as possible, and we need to be horrified when any group of human beings anywhere are slaughtered like those individuals have been. No question about it. But let me ask you this. What signs did Jesus give regarding the event he had just spoken of to first century people about the destruction of the Jewish temple? Watch verse number 5. Many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ. They'll deceive many. He says, now you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. He said, for all these things must come to pass, but the end, the end of what? The end of the Jewish temple and the system that it represents, that's not going to happen just because war is happening, not yet anyway. He says, a nation will be rising against nation, verse 7, kingdom against kingdom. There are going to be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in all kinds of different places, he says. Now, all of that is just the beginning of sorrows. You apostles, you're going to be delivered up to be afflicted. They'll kill you. Mark's account said they would stand before kings and rulers, Mark 13, 9. And then shall many be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. There's the deception theme again threaded throughout this. Don't be deceived. Iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And what else would have to happen before the Jewish temple could be destroyed? The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, let me pause and make an observation here. Just because we see the words, the end, does not mean necessarily it's the end in the final end. If you don't believe that, just look at the Rocky movies. I think all of them had the words the end at the end, but it wasn't the end. 
There was more to come. There was more to the story. There was more that was going to be uh, put on film. And so when we read about the end, it's very important to keep context in mind. So far, what end has Jesus been focused upon? The end of this Jewish temple, this Jewish house. He says the gospel will have to be preached in the whole world before the end of that can come. And then he says, when you therefore, verse 15 of Matthew 24, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth and let him understand. You can know something. When you see a certain event happen, you can know what that means based on what Daniel wrote back in his prophecy. And when you see that, now please keep in mind this What Jesus is about to say is a very localized flavor to it. What does he say in verse 16? Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Think of how big and wide this world is. And there are people right now telling us that the signs are very evident. And so should people in Huntsville, Alabama be fleeing into the mountains? Jesus said, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains when you see this. Now, this is where I want to go to Luke 21. Hold your place in Matthew 24. I want to go to Luke 21. Remember, the gospel account is given by different writers, and they're all inspired of God, and they give us supplementary information sometimes. Not contradictory, but supplementary. And you'll note here in Luke chapter 21... The context is definitely the same subject because look at verse 5 of Luke 21. Some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with all these goodly stones and gifts. And what did Jesus say in response to their praise of the temple's magnificence? Verse 6, Luke 21, 6. As for these things which you behold, the days will come in the which... There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Sounds familiar. That's what Matthew also records. Well, they want to know, well, when's that going to happen? What sign is there going to be that these things will come to pass? The, Jesus gives the warning about not being deceived. I want you to note something in verse 11, by the way, we're going to come back to that's not mentioned in Matthew's account in the same exact phraseology anyway. Look at uh, Luke 21 and the statement that is made there in verse 11. Great earthquakes shall be in diverse places. We have that in Matthew. Famines, pestilences. Yes, we have all that. But this last part. Jesus also said, fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. So there would be before the destruction of the Jewish temple great signs and fearful sights that would be coming from the heavens. And that is an important thing to keep in mind as it relates to what we're about to see. Now, if you'll stay in this chapter, go to verse number 20. Luke 21, 20. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know, what can you know? The desolation thereof is nigh. Your house is left to you desolate, Jesus says. And well, when, when is that going to happen? Well, I'll tell you this. When you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, know that that desolation is near. So I was speaking somewhere recently on this same subject, coincidentally, and the local preacher showed me a post that someone had 
told me about a, a post that someone had put on their Facebook page. It was a picture of some of the military conflict going on in Israel, and they included Luke twenty-one twenty in their post. When you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, know that the desolation is nigh. And the very thrust of the post was, here's Jerusalem surrounded with enemy uh, war, warfare, and the desolation must be nigh. Friends, let me make an observation to you. The Jewish temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. If there had been cameras then, stationed like our cities today often have cameras that take pictures of coming storms or keep up with traffic flow and things of that nature. If there had been pictures or cameras back then and those had been posted in places around Jerusalem, true or false, those cameras would have, those cameras would have seen the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem leading up to 70 AD and in 70 AD. Yes or no? Would cameras have spotted such an event back then? Yes. So we're sometimes forgetful that what we think is a fulfillment of the signs is really something that's already been fulfilled. And this is what I want you now to consider with me. Consider the fulfillments. If I can show you tonight that all these signs that Jesus gave prior to the destruction of Jerusalem were fulfilled in the first century prior to 70 A.D., then I can show you that there is no need for us to be looking at signs today as a fulfillment of something that's about to happen to us when in fact those signs have already been fulfilled and what Jesus predicted would happen has already happened regarding the destruction of the temple. Now some get really uh, hyper-preterist about this and go to the point of saying Therefore, all biblical prophecy was fulfilled in 70 A.D., and no, it was not. But a major significant prophecy was fulfilled in 70 A.D., and that was the destruction of the Jewish temple. But there would be signs leading up to it. Now, here's some history for you and for me to consider regarding this. And by the way, I know I'm going to be going more rapidly tonight than anyone could possibly write down, and so... Uh, have PDFs of these slides that I'm more than happy to email to the church here so they can send them to you or I'll, they can start a list and I'll make sure that I send uh, the list of all the slides, the PDF of all the slides I use this weekend. I'll be more than happy to send for free to anyone that wants them. And you can linger over this and study it even more. A Jewish priest and historian by the name of Josephus wrote a lot about what happened regarding the destruction of Jerusalem because he actually turned out to be an eyewitness of it along with the Romans. He led a revolt against Rome and uh, in response to their oppression of the Galileans, they actually captured Josephus in 67 AD and held him in Caesarea as a prisoner until AD 69. But then he came to Jerusalem with Titus in AD 70, and he was an actual eyewitness to the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred in 70 AD. Now watch this. What did Jesus say there would be before the temple could be destroyed? There would be false Christ who would come along. And instead of looking for some mystical figure today in our day and time to fulfill that, let's see, has it already been fulfilled? 
Matthew 24, 5. This is what Josephus writes. Uh, There was an Egyptian false prophet that did the Jews more mischief than the former. He was a cheat, pretended to be a prophet also. He wasn't really a prophet. He was just pretending to be and got together 30,000 men that were what? Deluded by him. Take heed that no man deceive you, Jesus says. False Christ will come. Don't be deceived by these. Here's a man in the first century before the destruction of Jerusalem who is convincing people that he was going to lead them into Jerusalem by force, according to Josephus, and he deluded 30,000 men to believe that he was really somebody when he was, in fact, not who he claimed to be. And then you'll notice in his Antiquities of the Jews, Josephus writes this, Now it came to pass, while Thaddeus was a procurator of Judea, a certain magician whose name was Thutis, he persuaded a great part of the people to take their effects with them, follow him to the river Jordan. He told them he was a prophet and that he would by his own command divide the river and afford them an easy passage over it. And many were what? Deluded by his words. Were there deceivers in the first century convincing people they were someone sent from God when in fact they were not? Yes, that was happening then. Notice Tacitus was a Roman historian. This is what Tacitus wrote about those rumors of wars that we saw Jesus said would happen before the destruction of the temple would happen. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, Tacitus writes this, the history on which I am entering. Now, he's writing about first century history. Is that of a period rich in disasters, terrible with battles, torn by civil struggles, horrible even in peace. Four emperors fell by the sword. There were three civil wars, more foreign wars, and often both were happening at the same time. So do we need to find wars today to make Matthew 24 come true? Or is it possible that the signs that Jesus gave have already been fulfilled, and that what Jesus predicted would happen to that Jewish temple already happened, and uh, that's what we see. Now, remember that statement we read from Luke 21, 11, fearful sights, great signs from heaven. Uh, now, here's something that I want to keep in mind. The Bible does not go into all of the details about some of these things, and so I would be cautious to not be too dogmatic about some things, except to point out this. There is an interesting harmony that matches up with what the Bible does come right out and say. And for instance, by the way, Thutis was mentioned by Josephus. He's also mentioned in Acts as a false prophet. And so there is corresponding uh, information in the inspired work of Luke regarding some of these things. And Luke is the one who writes here in Luke 21 that there would be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Now, Josephus wrote this, and make of it what you will, but this is interesting to consider. These things, these signs from heaven, these sights they were seeing in the sky, were a manifest indication that some destruction was coming upon men 
when the system of the world was put into this disorder, and anyone would guess that these wonders foreshadowed some great calamities that were coming. Now, it just so happens that though he was not inspired, what he's writing about had been warned about by inspired writers, Matthew and Luke and Mark. He also mentions these wars of the Jews. The people of Caesarea had slain the Jews that were among them on the very same day and same hour. Now, just keep in mind 9-11 in our country. And in about an hour's time, a little more than an hour's time, about 3,000 of our people died just like that. And it's horrific. All these years later, we still remember it. We'll never forget it. The people of Caesarea had slain Jews among them on the very same day and hour. In one hour's time, notice above 20,000 Jews were killed and all Caesarea was emptied of its Jewish inhabitants. 20,000. Does that sound like a time of tribulation and trouble and trial to you indeed? And then about these famines... Here's what Josephus wrote about Queen Helena. Her coming was a very great advantage to the people of Jerusalem. A famine did oppress them at that time. Many people died for want of what was necessary to produce food with old Queen Helena sent some of her servants to Alexandria with money to buy a great quantity of corn and others to Cyprus to bring cargo of dried figs. Now look at what Tacitus, the Roman historian, wrote about the famine. Many prodigies occurred during the year leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. He said, ominous birds took their seat on the capital. Houses were overturned by repeated shocks of earthquake. And as the panic spread, the weak were trampled underfoot in the trepidation of the crowd. Watch. A shortage of corn again. And the famine which resulted were construed as a... They didn't know what it meant, but they thought it must be supernatural. Well, we happen to know that a supernatural being, the Son of God, warned that there would be famines, there would be wars and rumors of wars, and so this does not surprise us. They didn't understand exactly what the the message was going on, but we know, based on what Jesus said, it matches up perfectly. (coughs) And you have the inspired historian Luke. He was inspired. He mentions in Acts 11, 27, that there was a man named Agabus who stood up and signified, how did he know this? By the Spirit, that there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, by the way. So what Jesus said would happen, did happen. And what about these earthquakes? Many of them occurred just before 70 A.D. In fact, look at the list here. There were earthquakes in Crete, Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Samos, Laodicea, Heropolis, Colossae, Campania, Rome, and Judea. It's interesting to note the city of Pompeii was much damaged by an earthquake occurring February 5th, 63 A.D., Just seven years later, the Jewish temple that Jesus said would be destroyed was destroyed. All these signs were being fulfilled in that day and time. Regarding the fearful sights and great signs from heaven possibilities, here's what Josephus wrote. 
there broke out a prodigious storm in the night with the utmost violence, very strong winds with the largest showers of rain, continual lightnings, terrible thunderings, amazing concussions and bellowings of the earth that was in an earthquake. And then he mentions, he claims, and the only reason I would even give pause to consider the possibility of it is not because Josephus wrote it, but because Jesus did say in Luke 21, 11, there would be fearful sights and great signs from heaven prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. Josephus claims there was a star resembling a sword that stood over the city and a comet that appeared to continue for a whole year. And thus also before the Jews' rebellion, so great a light shone round about the altar in the holy house, it appeared to be bright daytime, which light lasted for half an hour. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what happened or whether he was writing this in all accuracy, but I know Jesus said things would be happening from the heavens, and it does at least give us pause to consider. Notice the eastern gate of the inner court of the temple, made out of brass, armed with iron, vastly heavy, had been with difficulty shut by 20 men, rested upon a basis armed with iron and had bolts, fastened very deep into the firm floor, made of one entire stone, it was seen to be opened of its own accord about the sixth hour of the night, Josephus claims. I know this, there were some kinds of fearful sights and great signs from heaven that showed up before the destruction of Jerusalem. Are these the ones? I do not know all of the answers to that question, but I know they would be coming, and they did come in some form or fashion. Now, here's what I do know. The gospel has to be preached to the whole world before the end. What's the end? The end of the Jewish temple. Before that can come, the gospel has to be spread to the whole world. Did it get spread to the whole world (coughs) prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD? Watch this. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, Colossians 1.5. Where have you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come to you, Paul, what did you write in the early 80s, 60s? As it is in all the world, and brings forth fruit as it does also in you. That's verse 5 and 6. Look at verse 23 of the same chapter. Paul writes, the hope of the gospel which you've heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. The gospel had been dispensed into all of those regions where all of those people lived, and so we see that sign can be checked off. That was done. What about appearing before rulers and kings? Did that ever happen prior to Jerusalem's destruction? Uh, Here's just a partial list. Peter and John in Acts 4, Stephen in Acts 7, James in Acts 12, Paul before Gallio in Acts 18, before Felix in Acts 24. What about Agrippa, Acts 25? And then finally allowed to present his case before Caesar himself. And so rulers and kings were indeed a part of the equation prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. Now here's where we get down to really the nitty gritty of all of this. There were those Roman armies amassing outside of Jerusalem and they could see when the Roman armies were amassing. Look at what Josephus writes this. Now, when the multitude were gotten together to an assembly, 
And everyone was in indignation at these men's seizing upon the sanctuary, at their rapine and murders, but had not yet begun their attacks upon them. Agnes stood in the midst of them and casting his eyes frequently at the temple and having a flood of tears in his eyes, he said, certainly it had been good for me to die before I'd seen the house of God full of so many abominations or these sacred places that ought not to be trodden upon at random, filled with the feet of these blood-shedding villains. Indeed, the abomination of desolation would be seen when Jerusalem was surrounded by Roman armies. Vespasian had at one point fortified all the places round about Jerusalem, erected citadels there, placed garrisons, and then the war had gone through all the mountainous countryside and all the plain, and those that were in Jerusalem were deprived of the liberty of going out of that city. And then Vespasian had to return to Caesarea, was getting ready with all his army to go to Jerusalem when he got word about Nero's death. <coughs> and he went back home, thinking that uh, maybe he might be the one that would become the next ruler. And he wanted to see whether he would be the one that was appointed as the new emperor. And so he did not go to Jerusalem at that time. When the legions of Rome finally did get to Jerusalem, they camped at the Mount of Olives. And watch this. Immediately after their arrival, a nine-mile-long wall was constructed in three days, totally enclosing the city. No wonder, if you go back to Matthew 24... This all makes perfect sense when you keep it in historical context. He just told them, now when you see the abomination of desolation, which we know is connected with the surrounding of Jerusalem by the Roman armies, that's the prelude to it. When you see that, get out, flee, run, go somewhere that's not Jerusalem. In fact, he says, flee into the mountains there in Matthew 24. Look at the statement again in verse number 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. If you're on the housetop, it'll be so important that you don't dally. You don't even go get your stuff. You just get out. And don't let, go, don't go back to get your clothes. Woe to them with child. Why would it be worse to be a pregnant mother at the time of this than at another time? Because it's not as easy to move rapidly when you are with child. And if you're nursing a child, you have more responsibilities that make it harder for you to leave quickly and to run as fast as you can without uh, carrying the burden of your child, which you're certainly not going to see as a burden, but as a matter of logic and just uh, practicality. It's not going to be as quick, easy to run uh, with a child as it would be if you were by yourself. So why would he care about whether it's winter time or the Sabbath day? Because the Jerusalem conditions, the, if there were wintry conditions, that would make it travel more treacherous and not as quick to get out. And if the Sabbath day is what happens, the city gates are locked. And so this is, this is a situation here that is extremely serious. They had to get out and had to get out right away. Josephus tells about how Roman soldiers went in numbers into the lanes of the city. Do you see what I have at the top of the screen, by the way? Great tribulation. We've been so conditioned to think 
that great tribulation is something we haven't yet seen because it's going to be so horrible, so horrific. It's got to be something coming in the future. And people have taken the Bible and taken it out of context in various places, matched scriptures together that really don't go together, and come up with doctrines that really aren't true. And let me show you how careful we have to be about matching Scripture with Scripture with Scripture and assuming it's all about the same thing. Is it true or false that we read a passage of Scripture that says uh, Judas went out and hanged himself? Do you read that in the Bible, yes or no? Do you read that? Yeah. Do you ever read this statement in the Bible? Go thou and do likewise. Yes, you find that statement. That's a biblical statement. And do you ever find this statement in the Bible, whatsoever you do, do it quickly? Is that all? Which of those statements, those three statements, come from the Bible? All of them. But if I put them all together, Judas went out and hanged himself. Go thou and do likewise, and whatever you do, do it quickly. Does that work? Friends, you and I know better than that. We've got to take Scripture and match it up with Scripture responsibly. And here in Matthew 24, we're reading about a great tribulation that would happen then. In fact, let's just see if it did. He said, Josephus tells how Roman soldiers went in numbers into the lanes of the city with their swords drawn. They slew those whom they overtook without mercy, set fire to the houses whither the Jews were fled, burnt every soul in them, and laid waste a great many of the rest. To take a house full of people and to set it on fire and burn up everyone in the house, would you, would you say that constitutes great tribulation for them? And when they came to these houses to plunder them, Josephus writes, some of these houses already had entire families of dead men inside of them. How? The seeds, the famine. They'd run out of food. They'd starve to death. These upper rooms were full of dead corpses of such that had died by the famine. And they stood in horror at this sight and they went out without touching anything. Great tribulation, does it qualify? Yes. But although they had this commiseration for such as were destroyed in that manner, yet had they not the same for those that were still alive. They left these houses where they found all these dead corpses. They saw living people and they ran them through. It says they obstructed the very lanes with their dead bodies, made the whole city run down with blood to such a degree that the fire of many houses was quenched with these men's blood. Do we need to look for great tribulation to happen in the future? Or would you agree that losing 1,100,000 Jews... 1,100,000 people is what Josephus claims as the casualties for this destruction of Jerusalem. Does that qualify as great tribulation, 1,100,000, yes or no? You don't need to wait for some future tragedy to meet a great tribulation. We've had it in the past. Now consider the language, and this is where we start closing out here. I want you to notice that when you read Matthew 24 and you come to verses like 29 and following, it's easy to read this language and think, oh, that has to be about the final judgment, the end of time. Because look at it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, 
The moon will not give her light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. That sounds so much like the end of time that a lot of folks have just come to this text and said, that's got to be the final judgment right there. Let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a time when the same exact kind of language has been used to describe judgments that happened already that were not the final judgment day. I want to ask that question one more time. Can we find any examples in Scripture where the same language is used to describe a judgment that was coming from God, but which judgment has already happened and which judgment was not the final day of judgment? Yes, we can. And so let me show them to you. Babylon was already defeated by the Persians, the Medo-Persians in 539 B.C. But at the time Isaiah wrote this, that hadn't happened yet. And you'll notice the language he uses would sound like the world's coming to an end. But it was only a Babylon whose time was coming to an end as it comes to being a nation. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And then notice verse 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now that's interesting. When we hear the word, the day of the Lord, we think, oh, the judgment day, the final judgment day. There have been many days of the Lord where he judged the world at times. Noah's day was one of those times, but it wasn't the final judgment. Babylon had a day when they were judged. But look at the language that's used here in verse 10. And I can see that... I'm going to use the four by three slides from now on. I can see that's that's on me, by the way. But I'll try to make heads or tails out of this. And the slides you get, the PDF, will have this in clear fashion. The stars of heaven and the constellations thereof, this is regarding Babylon's destruction, shall not give their light. The sun shall be, what? Darkened. It is going forth. The moon won't give its light anymore. Question did the literal sun and the literal moon quit shining and giving light in 539 B.C., yes or no? No. But for Babylon, it was earth-shattering. We use language today that my world came crashing down. My heart was shattered. We don't mean that literally, but we're speaking in a language that gets our point across. This is apocalyptic language that God would often use to describe a judgment upon a people. I'll shake the heavens, the earth will remove out of her place. That was written in Isaiah 13 about Babylon. And guess what? That already happened. Babylon got exactly what God said they would get, and the world still stood. Edom, Isaiah 34, 4 through 6 he says, the host of heaven will be dissolved. The heaven will be rolled together as a scroll. The host, the stars and all the planets will fall down. That's what was used to describe the fall of Edom. It will come down upon Edumea. It was a local judgment, but it was described in language that sounds like the world itself was coming to an end because for them, it was the end of their situation. And then you see it. Other passages like Isaiah 51. The heavens will vanish away. The earth will wax old. These are all descriptions of judgment God would bring upon the people. Judah, he says, I beheld the heavens. They had no light. 
And then he says, the heavens above will be black. Judah was already given the punishment that God planned for them. Now look at this right here. Ezekiel 32, 7 and 8. I'm going to cover, this is Egypt. This is only written to Egypt. I'm going to cover the heaven, make the stars dark, cover the sun. The moon won't give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee. I'm setting darkness upon the land. If somebody says, I'm going to turn your lights out, mister, what would they mean by that? You would understand what they meant. And that's exactly what we're seeing here in all these passages. And there are others that you can take the time to look at later. Joel 3, the sun and moon will be darkened, withdraw their shining. And then you see Nineveh is also described in this way in Nahum 1, 1 through 5. So let me ask you this. You read these words here as it relates to the destruction of Jerusalem. True or false? These words, similar words, have been used in Old Testament passages to describe judgments that were local and not universal. Yes or no? Yes. And so there is no reason to conclude that Matthew 24, 29 is about the end. And here's a reason to show emphatically that it's not. I want you to consider the contrasts between these passages as we close out tonight. As you look at the destruction of Jerusalem, you'll notice that the word days in the plural is used to describe what's going to happen to it. But then when it comes to Matthew 24, 36, but of that day, singular, and our, knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, And he says there's going to come a day when they're going to be taken away just like they were in the days of Noah. So days versus day. They could know when the destruction of Jerusalem was about to happen. But he says in Matthew 24 regarding the final coming, the second coming, the judgment day, no man knows. He says, but my father only, verse 36. Verse 42, watch therefore you don't know what hour your Lord does come. Verse 44, in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Stop right here and consider this. With regards to Jerusalem, when you see the Roman army surrounding it, you know it's near, get out right then. But with reference to the final day of judgment, you won't know exactly when it's going to happen. It will come like a thief in the night. Yes, says Matthew 24, 44 and following. There would be times of crisis leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. But watch this. Regarding the final coming, what were they doing in the days of Noah before the flood came? Verse 38, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. How long up until the very day Noah entered the ark? There were no signs saying, oh, it's about to happen. It was normal. And that's the way it's going to be with reference to the final judgment of our Lord. The signs that were given in Matthew 24, 32, and 33 are emphatic. No warning signs given. The thief doesn't call you up and say, I'm going to rob your house tonight. Just wanted to give you a warning. No, that doesn't happen. Time to flee from the destruction of Jerusalem. No time to flee when the final judgment comes. They knew not till the flood came and took them all away, and so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There won't be any time to escape. 
Judgment was limited to Jerusalem and its local area. But the final judgment is universal. All nations are gathered, not just the localized area of Judea. And then you see events would occur within that generation. To me, this is one of the most compelling and powerful things of all. And I close with this. Look at Matthew 24, 34. In verse 32, actually, you'll notice there's this statement made. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, that, that's a sign. What does it sign? What does it signify or signify? Summer's close. So likewise, when you see all these things, know that it's near even at the doors. What's near? The destruction of the Jewish temple. Watch. Verily I say unto you, verse 34, this generation shall not pass till, friend, how much does Jesus say of what he's just said would come to pass during that generation's lifetime? How many things does Jesus say would come to pass during that generation's lifetime? What does your Bible say? How many things? Till all these things be fulfilled. Notice that. All these things will be fulfilled. And so that means, by the way, the sum total of those living at the same time, according to Art and Gingrich's Greek lexicon, it refers not to just a race of people, but to a group of people living together at the same time. And then finally, the events would be delayed for the second coming from their immediate time to a time not identifiable. Roman armies would encamp before the destruction of Jerusalem No visible sign precedes this event. I close with one verse of Scripture and a preview of tomorrow night. Look at Luke 21. Luke chapter 21, and let's zoom in on verse 34. Luke 21, 34, and this is right after he's just finished describing the destruction of Jerusalem and how all that uh, he just said would happen before that generation passed away. But then he goes to describe the final coming, and this is what he says about that coming. Verse 34 of Luke 21. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, that's overindulging, and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that day come upon you unaware. It's going to come like a snare, a trap. You don't know a trap is about to spring when you take a step or you wouldn't step there. That's the nature of a trap. It comes when you're not expecting it. The destruction of Jerusalem was not unexpected. Signs showed them exactly when it was going to happen. But the final judgment, it comes unawares on them that dwell not just in Judea. Notice the nature of it. Verse 35, as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. That's the whole judgment. The final judgment is not just localized to Judea like the destruction of Jerusalem judgment. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So, in summary, when I see events happening in the Middle East, I remind myself of these things. Number one, Jesus said, There would be some signs that would precede the destruction of the Jewish temple. Those signs were fulfilled. The Jewish temple was destroyed. Jesus 
told the truth. But he also said, there is a final judgment coming that no one knows about when it's coming. So here's the way you and I can prepare for that. Just stay ready. Tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about, Lord willing, what does Revelation reveal about the end of days? Is the book of Revelation really a roadmap for every current event that we're seeing in the world today? Is the Antichrist that we're allegedly going to see revealed any time now uh, anticipated by the book of Revelation? We're going to talk about that tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We would certainly love to have you come and be a part of it. And we thank you so much for your presence here tonight. And we look forward to our study tomorrow evening. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.